baseball season, of course, is here, and so you get a lot of baseball stuff from me this time of year, obviously, but I'm coaching again in the machine pitch league. It's been, I think, five or six years since Hank was in that league. Now Duke, my seven-year-old, he's in the machine pitch league, and we had practice the other night, Friday night, and you've got 12 or 13 little seven- and eight-year-old boys running around, and it's it's a, it's an experience. I, you're certainly invited to come out and help um, <clears throat> or observe or run or whatever you want to do when you get there. I don't know. But it, it's, it's kind of fun, and, and um, you know, I enjoy coaching. Um, you know, for some, when, it, when, when you're coaching these little boys, you can see the ones for whom the game comes easy. And, and they, they don't really have to try very hard to, to, to be that, that kind of baseball coordinated, if that makes sense. And they, they're just good at it at a very early age. For some, it's a struggle, and, it, and, it, and, and, and maybe it's difficult. When I was, when I was growing up, the game came pretty easy to me until I was about 15 years old. I was on the all-star teams and did all that stuff. And some of you in your own sports, your own activities, you were like that. Just It just just came real easy to you. You could do things really well. And then when I was 15 years old, I was a sophomore at Pleasure Ridge Park High School in Louisville, and I kind of hit a wall. I was given the starting shortstop job and was scared to death. I, for the first time ever, I'm facing varsity pitching in, in a program that we faced a lot of really good pitchers, and they just put it to me. I started... I had one hit in my first 11 at-bats, and I had six strikeouts in a row to round out those first 11 at-bats. I thought my career was over. I mean, I thought, I'm done. I can't play this game anymore. And my coach, who believed in me uh, to a large degree, uh, he pulled me aside, and and he, he basically told me, he said, now, you've been doing this your way for a long time, and you've been pretty successful, you think, so far, but it ain't gonna work anymore. Not at this level. You're gonna have to make some changes. And you have to do it our way. And I wasn't real stubborn in trying to do it my way yet anyway. I just was, I didn't know any other way to do it. And so he got me over and we worked on some different things. And, and he really helped me with my swing and, and, and helped me to learn how to, to perform really at that level. And I, I, I bought into what he was saying. Um, the answers came from the coach who was smarter than me and, and I bought in, and I, and I knew, though, that if I were going to do better, I was going to have to trust him and do it his way. The problem was his way was a little bit unconventional to me. I'd never done it that way before. I'd always played baseball one particular way, and I'd been successful, and I'd, you know, I had no problems. So his way was a little unconventional. And his way was also kind of foolish to some people, because in order to fix my swing, he didn't get me over and throw baseballs to me. He did a, a drill that I'd never seen before, and some of you have done this drill since then. If you ever played baseball, he got me up against the fence and he made, made me stand with the bat sticking straight out from my stomach. And that's all the length that I had, the distance I had from the fence. And I had to swing without hitting the fence. And the first swing I took, I nailed that fence. I mean, just you know, rattle your hands and, oh, I felt so stupid. And if anybody had been watching us, they might have looked at that coach and said, what in the world are you doing? But he knew what he was doing because his way was perfect to him. He'd been down that road before with different players. He'd coached different guys who had the same problem I did, and he was able to help them. He showed me how, and I got on board, and I got through that immovable obstacle of one for 11 with six consecutive strikeouts that I'd been facing. Now, since then, I've learned that that was not really a big, big deal, that life has a way of throwing immovable obstacles at you that really are a big deal. It was devastating to me as a 15-year-old baseball player, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that was a very minor issue, as you well know. And you guys know what I'm talking about, of course. 
you've faced a lot of immovable obstacles in your life, and, and many of us are facing them right now. And many of us will face those as we move forward. The truth is, they're overwhelming, aren't they? And they're intimidating, and they're terrifying, and they're confusing. We don't know what to do. And I believe it's those immovable obstacles that God wants to talk to us about today. We're in a series called Bible Stories That You Thought You Knew. And you've been with us, you you know this series so far. If you're new with us today, we're just looking at old Bible stories from both the Old and New Testament, kind of working through the Bible chronologically to pick out some of the stories that, that show who God is, that show what He has done, that show His overall story of redemption and grace and love and justice in the world. Today we're going to look at a story that really did happen, a story that shows God's power, a story that shows his commitment to fight battles and move obstacles for his people. So if you got your Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua's over in the Old Testament. <clears throat> if you're not familiar with the Bible, please just go to the table of contents. If you do not have a Bible with you today, uh, the version that I'll be reading from uh, is in, I think at least halfway back or so, we've gotten them filled up so far. There's some Bibles there in the pews next to the hymnals. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, certainly you can look it up on your phone or tablet, but there's something I think powerful and important about having it in your hands and being able to turn to it and learn where things are. And so anyway, uh, if you need one of those Bibles, by the way, if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you need one, just take it with you. Uh, we're happy to provide those for you. Someone has donated all of those, and, and eventually we'll have enough to, to go all the way back. We're just waiting on a shipment. But, uh, but anyway, someone has donated those to the church and, and for the purpose of uh, putting the Word of God in the hands of the people who attend here. So uh, Joshua chapter 6 is is about the old story that the old song that maybe you sang in Sunday school, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. If you remember that, that old song. So this is about the battle of Jericho. Now here's the truth about Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. Joshua didn't fight any battle of Jericho. God was going to fight it on his behalf. Joshua just simply needed to do what God had said to do. But anyway, where they are, the Israelites have, have, have gotten out of slavery. They've spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now they are at the cusp of the first town they've got to take on their way through the promised land. If they want to control this region of Canaan, the land of Canaan, they have to take Jericho. But there's a problem. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. They have to take this town, but Jericho, the people of Jericho know that there's an attacker on, on you know, right, right there at their doorstep, and they fortify their town. Nobody's going in, nobody's going out. Jericho is closed. It is an immovable obstacle. Now, I'm sure the Israelites worked through all their military options at this point. They could, they could lay a siege to the place. They, they could just try to go and attack it straight on. But there were problems with every military option. If they were going to lay siege to the place, Jericho... Uh, archaeologists uh, show us it had a spring in the middle there inside the city walls it had a spring of water they had a water supply and and the bible tells us in joshua chapter three that the harvest had just been taken so what do they got they got food they got water you can't starve them out so a siege isn't going to work bible also tells us they had fortified walls and so you can't just attack it in a frontal attack because it's unlikely to succeed jericho had to be taken but it didn't seem possible to do so. 
My question to us this morning as we get started is, what's your Jericho? What is it that you're facing right now? Not to allegorize this story, but I think to apply it, what, what are you facing right now that is the immovable obstacle in your life? I asked this question on Facebook, and I was overwhelmed at the response. Absolutely overwhelmed. I said, basically, what are the immovable objects or obstacles that you have faced or are facing in your lives? Let me just read to you some of these because I think you'll probably relate. Some of you contributed to this discussion. I don't have any names here. I'm just going to read to you what people wrote. These were not private messages, by the way. These are on my public page. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sharing any personal and private information. Okay. Those are just disclaimers. Okay. Don't sue me. Anyway, here, here we go. Here, here are some. The immovable obstacles. Caring for my grandmother in our home while also raising small kids. The death of a a friend. Depression. The consequences of having been abused as a child. Never applying myself fully to anything. Never finding the motivation to do so. And now looking back and regretting it. Difficult relationships with extended families. It makes holidays hard sometimes. Your expectations being higher than your coach or your employer. And what do you do with that? Overextending yourself and not having the time or motivation to do what's important. Complacency. It's that feeling that you learned enough growing up in church and you you aren't making sinful decisions. You're nice to people around you and you go to church like you're supposed to. You think that as long as nothing bad is happening, the Lord must not be punishing you, so everything must be fine. The obstacle being that you've grown so comfortable you don't seek a relationship with the Lord and you just let his blessings wash over you thinking this must be how it is. So you don't strive to learn and be moved by God's word. There's no growth, only a going along and hoping that things don't change. Well, that's powerful, isn't it? Somebody else said professional jealousy. Relationships between adult and children, uh, adult children and parents. And, and changing relationships in marriage through the years. Balance, boundaries. This person said, I want to help save the world or at least help others to have a better life. And I spread myself too thin and get sick and end up not being able to help. Maybe you can relate to that. Moving to a new place where you know you and your family will never truly be accepted. Getting past the loss of a parent. But one lady said, dropping out and not finishing college while I had the time and resources available. Because I was young, clueless, and ill-advised. Now, 30 years later, later, being a stay-at-home mom uh, for 23 years, even a janitor's position I applied for was given to someone with both a bachelor's and graduate degree. Now, not having that degree feels like an immovable obstacle. I guess that degree, or the lack of it, is the tangible obstacle, and the feeling of worthlessness in its place is the intangible. The person talking in my head, speaking negative thoughts, telling stories that seem real. Health problems and potential health problems. Work-life balance, trying to do it all and being overwhelmed by it. Accepting that immovable obstacles exist in the first place. (laughs) Not all problems are going to be solved or solved, and I think they should be. Low confidence in myself and in others. One guy said, temptation is the worst for me. I pray for it and battle it with my faith and prayer, but it's still hard. Dealing with health issues, trying to make changes in your daily routine. In my life, this, this person said, I've never felt like God was not with me. I've always felt like the bad times would turn into goodness around the corner if I just kept going and have faith. But losing my husband of 28 years makes me question that. It's the immovable obstacle. I, this person said, I am my immovable obstacle. My flesh. My desire to do things my way rather than God's way. My refusal to learn the lesson the first time around. My stubbornness. 
Because I've also faced obstacles more like I suspect that you're talking about. The sudden death of my father was a tough one for me for a very long time. The long, troublesome path of of our adoption and the waiting game was another. I pray that one day I'll get out of my own way and let God handle it all. He's going to do it anyway. You'd think I'd have learned by now. (laughs) It's powerful. One person said just people in general. That's my immovable obstacle. (laughs) Amen. You know, I wonder if you can relate to some of those. I mean, that's life, isn't it? I mean, that is the real stuff of life. And nobody even mentioned the financial difficulties that people face or the loss of a job or or things like that. Or even the loss of a relationship. And boy, our Jerichos can be big, big, huge, immovable obstacles. And I wonder, how, how have you been attacking yours? You see it there. You know what you're up against. How have you been attacking it? How have you been trying to move the immovable object or obstacle in your life? Those that are on the inside. Those that are on the outside. A lot of times we just try to do better. Uh, we, we try to avoid that sin. Or we're going to make up for what we've done wrong. Or we're just going to think positively. Or we exercise. Or we go to therapy. We take medicine. We do all kinds of things to try to move the immovable obstacle in our lives. None of those are inherently wrong. But a lot of times it just turns us into manipulators of situations and people. Trying to figure out a way to move what is obviously immovable. Or maybe you've given up. And you've gotten angry. Trying to pretend like it's not a big deal. Like it doesn't bother you. Like it's not really there. I wonder what your Jericho is today. On the inside or the outside. The one that makes you feel like I did as a sophomore in high school, thinking that your career, your life is over. The one that makes you feel that way about yourself, your relationships, your future, your finances, your health, your job, your emotions, your life. That big Jericho that's staring you down every day. But look at what God said about Jericho. Verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, Good luck, dude. Good luck. Pull them for you. Good luck. Here's what he says. Look, I have handed Jericho, listen to this, its king and its fighting men over to you. He doesn't say good luck. Hope you do well. Hey, I'm pulling for you. Be here if you need me after you get, you know, whipped. He says, I have handed this place, this thing, these people over to you. Now at this point, the Israelites have to know that's their only chance. A fortified city that will not respond to a siege that they can't take on their own. They have to know that it is only God who is their hope for taking this immovable obstacle, for getting it out of their way. And I wonder, are we willing to admit the same today about our immovable obstacles, that it is only God who can do something about this? You've been trying a long time. Trying to move it. Trying to get past it. Trying to deal with it. Trying to overcome it. And I wonder if you would would, would look at these verses and say, you know what, really, my only hope is that God would deal with this. Here's God's battle plan. Look at verse 3. 
march around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. So you get the picture. One time around the city each day for six days. Then, verse 4, have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets in the front of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. Verse 5, when there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and all the people will advance, each man straight ahead. That's God's battle plan. I'm not a military strategist, but that's not what I would come up with. Just circle the city, march around a little bit. On the seventh day, do it seven times. Scream real loud and blow those horns, and it's all going to work out. That seems a little different to me. But look what Joshua does, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark. Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed troops go ahead of the Ark. And going on in the story, you know what they do? Exactly what God said to do. I think the lesson that Joshua and the Israelites teach us today is that when you face an, an immovable obstacle, The way to do that is to trust God and do it His way. Now that that rules out doing it our way. Trust God and do it His way. What I've found in my own life, when I go back to my own obstacles, is that I say I trust God and I still do it my way. You been there? Yep, just trusting God. And then I walk out of church and on Monday I go right back to what I was doing on Saturday before I had to start thinking about Sunday because it's going to be church and i got to pretend like i got it all together for these folks. That's what I do. I say I trust God and then I just keep doing it my way. I wonder if you're the same way. Still doing it your way. Still trying to overcome all your mistakes and your failures and your negative emotions. Still trying to determine how to be good enough for God to love you one day. Still trying to control everything. Still trying the same old things that you've tried for years. Still wishing, hoping, looking for answers. Still doing it your way and still swinging and missing and striking out and still not getting anywhere at all. I don't think that we're doing too well with our immovable obstacles by doing it our way. And it might be time... This is sarcastic, by the way. It might be time to try a different way. We're not too smart, though, are we? I speak in the we because I include myself. We aren't too smart. We want to keep doing it our way. Finally, what the Israelites had learned, it took them 40 years in the desert to learn this. Yes, God, we will trust you and we will do it your way. Now, the problem with God's way, as I explained earlier about the problem with my coach's way of doing things, the problem with God's way is it's a little unconventional to us. We've never done things like that before. We're not really sure if this will work if I trust God and do it His way. And it's going to seem foolish to other people. Paul wrote about this in the New Testament when he was talking about salvation that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. He said that God has taken the foolish things and He has shamed all the people who think they're so wise and smart. And he, and he basically says it's the foolishness of the cross that gives us hope. Do you realize that to the world, 
The life of a Christian seems very foolish to place your hope and faith in a God that you can't see. To place your hope and faith in the death of one man who supposedly died for all people. It seems foolish. But to God, it's perfect. Unconventional to us. Foolish to some, but perfect to Him. Because He knows us, He knows our obstacles, and He knows what He's doing. Now for them, what it looked like to do it His way, I think involved in in that scenario, three things that we can take as an example and moving forward, we can begin to put these into practice and start attacking our obstacles God's way. The first thing that it looked like for them to do things God's way at Jericho was obedience. What God told them to do, they did. The scripture tells us, God said, do this, and then immediately afterward, we get a repeat of that. All that's showing is, here's what they did, which was exactly what God said to do. They were obedient to God, and guess what happened? What happened was what God said was going to happen. They marched around the city, and then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, they blow the, the trumpets, they scream real loud, the walls fall down, they run and they take the city. They were obedient to God. It begs the question, I think, for us, are we living in obedience to the Lord? Truly. That's one of the questions we don't ask ourselves a lot at church for some some reason. We kind of assume that we all are. But you know what I've learned? Is that I'm not always living in obedience to the Lord. And if I'm not, that probably means that somebody else isn't either. So maybe there's somebody here who needs to have the question, are you and I living in obedience to the Word of God? Internally, externally, in our emotions, our thoughts, our choices, our actions, our decisions, our direction in life? Have we taken the time to study what God has to say about that immovable obstacle in our lives? Are we living according then to what God has said about it? How we should go about it? I'm convinced, honestly, that this is the root of so many of our problems. We simply don't live in full obedience to the Word of God. At at least that's one of my biggest problems. I'm also convinced that God has something to say about every one of our immovable obstacles. He has a way forward, a path for us to walk. Most of us either don't know what it is or we don't do what he has said for us to do. I think that's the case. Either we're ignorant or disobedient. If you don't know, I cannot encourage you enough to begin reading and studying, not just reading, but also studying the scripture to find out what has God said about this in my life. If you could relate to one of those things that somebody said on Facebook and you're dealing with a particular emotion, a particular decision, a particular relationship, whatever it may be, what has God said? Well, I don't know. Let me encourage you, begin to study the Word of God to find out what has He said about this. And if you are not doing what you know God has already said to do in that particular situation, I can only encourage you to repent, to turn to God, and begin today to obey the Word of God. He will forgive, He will restore, and He will help you move forward. Obedience is powerful. It aligns us with God's solutions. It puts us in position to receive God's blessings. It brings joy and it pleases God. So their first step was to be obedient. Do what God had said. In your immovable obstacle, let me encourage you this week, do what you already know God has said to do about that. And if you don't know, then begin to study and begin to learn. Secondly, God's way through Jericho involved worship. 
they were to walk around in a procession led by the priests and the ark, which was essentially a worship service. They were going to be led by their spiritual leaders. This was not a military strategy. It was a spiritual strategy. I think a lot of times in our lives, I just, I'll just i say this for me, a lot of time in my life, I look at things and, I've, and I don't immediately attack them in a spiritual manner. But I have come to believe that every issue we face at its core is a spiritual issue. Everything, let me repeat that. Everything we face at its core is a spiritual issue. Does that mean there aren't other things going on? That's not my point. But ultimately, there is a spiritual solution to everything that we face. They are all spiritual issues. How many times do we, is that our first default? Probably not often. We're going to figure it out instead of going to the Lord in prayer and in worship. They were to walk around worshiping the Lord. God was going to give them the battle. That wasn't in doubt. But they were supposed to turn their eyes to him and worship him. Worship is powerful because it orients us toward the one who can move the immovable obstacles in our lives. It draws us near to God. It transforms our hearts. It encourages us. It celebrates the victory that's already been won. Do you know why we're singing songs about heaven today? Celebrating the victory that has already been won on our behalf by God. Because it goes exactly with what we're talking about today. That's why we worship. And thirdly, God's way through Jericho involved holiness. Now, if some of you guessed that one on the outline without going to the app and looking and scanning the little thing and all that, then you win a free prize on the way out the door. Because if you went three for three today, man, you are are really good. Obedience, worship, holiness. Now, don't pack up yet because I'm going to explain holiness real quick. When God said you're to march around the city... Obey me. You're going to do it in such a way that you are worshiping. And then when I knock the walls down for you, you are to go and take the city and you are to leave nothing. Except Rahab, lady who was a prostitute who had turned to the Lord. Rahab and her family were to be spared. God says what you are to do is to align yourself with whomever and whatever is godly. And you are to distance and remove yourself from everything that is ungodly. That was how they were to attack the promised land. They were to be holy as they moved forward with the Lord. Holiness is powerful. Makes us like Jesus, which of course is God's will for our lives. It develops closeness with the Lord. Truth is, we can't hear from God when we have repeating sin in our lives. You just can't do it. It's impossible. It gives us God's eyes and His heart toward the things that we face. It protects us from what is not of God. It provides for us the life that God wants for us. It builds spiritual strength. It it makes us useful for God's work. It gives us credibility in our witness. It builds peace with God. And you say, man, I can't live like that. I mean, you're talking holiness. I don't even know. What does that mean? Once you know that the Bible tells us holiness is possible... It tells us first and foremost that through what is called justification that we are declared holy. That at the moment when you place your faith in Jesus Christ that you are given God's holiness and you are now made holy which means you are set apart for God. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you won't ever sin again. Holiness means set apart. You are distinct. You are separate. 
now from the rest of the world. Holiness is something that happens to us at the moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it's also something that continues to happen to us in the process the Bible calls sanctification. And that means we are continually being made more like Jesus. So if you're a believer in Jesus today, you have been declared holy and set apart. And God has also called you to a life of holiness that is continuing as you grow in faith and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. So holiness is possible. Now this morning, I have exactly zero time left according to my timer in the back. It says Brad's timer and it's at zero. And I appreciate you guys, it's not counting up now in red numbers to remind me that I've run over. They turned that off. Thanks. I appreciate that. A lot of times it gets up to seven, eight, nine minutes, and I'm like, oh, I'm not done. Anyway, so I know this morning there is no way for us to address all of the immovable obstacles that we're all facing. There is no way. Today is just a start. It's like the first time that my coach pulled me aside and began to work with me. Today is just a start. But I believe that God can cover, and He does cover all those. Today we don't have time for that, but God does. Today I think is just the first step, a commitment to trust God and do it His way. And that's what I want you to do this morning. I want you simply to make the commitment this morning that whatever it means, I don't even know what it means, but I am willing to learn and find out. I am making the commitment this morning that in my immovable obstacle, whatever I'm facing, I will trust God and I will do it His way. Now that begins, of course, with the greatest immovable obstacle in your life, whether you know it or not, which is your own sin. This isn't about being a good person and just bucking up and doing better with your immovable obstacles and look at my strength. No, 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 no. This is about full surrender to Jesus Christ, which begins with admitting, I am a sinner. I stand under the judgment of God and I need His deliverance, the death of Jesus, to cover me and to forgive me so that I might be set free from my sin, that that immovable object may be separated from me, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the depths of the sea, never to be brought up again by God, that I might be delivered from that immovable object. That's where it begins. If you have not done that before, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, admitting that you are a sinner, repenting, turning from that sin, and receiving Jesus by faith alone, then don't start with trying to move an immovable obstacle. Don't start with trying to restore a relationship in your life. Don't start with trying to just do better. Start with surrender to Jesus Christ. If you need somebody to talk to about what it means to be obedient, what it means to worship, what it means to be holy as you go after this immovable obstacle in your life, then listen, I would love to be able to talk with you. Do I have all the answers? No, but maybe together we can find what God wants you to do. My email address is there. I think it's on the back of the bulletin. I'm not going to ask you on the way out the door to try to tell me anything. That's not the point today. But but I would love to set up a time. Let's talk together. Let's pray together. Let's figure out what it is that God wants you to do. I'd be happy to do that. Let's set up a time. Trust God and do it His way. Even when it's unconventional to you or foolish to some. Remember, it's perfect to Him. Trust God and do it His way. Let's pray together.